This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Yo creo que ya vamos a empezar. Does everybody speak Spanish or English? English? Okay. English? I'm going to do it in English just as an exercise for myself. Okay. Um, well, I'm Memo Nunez. I, I'm from Mexico City, and uh, I'll give you a little background on what I do and why I'm here. Uh, I've been involved in the entertainment industry in Mexico for about 20 years, uh, producing theater, producing movies, producing TV shows, uh, YouTube channels, uh, you know, pretty much anything that has to do with entertainment. And in the last couple of years, we've been working a lot on podcasting in Mexico City. Not only because we consider it to be, you know, but what I mean by we is every creator that we work with. We're producing around a hundred different podcasts in every type of uh, subject matter. And uh, we're doing well. The numbers are there, uh, but we're going through we're going through a problem. Uh, the problem is we have the content, we have the numbers, but we haven't been able to translate that type of opportunity to advertisers and to people who would be more interested in specific advertisement because Mexico's a massive place. Uh, we were I was looking at the numbers. Mexico has around 120 some million people. And out of those people, 40 some people, 43 million people listen to podcasts. That's, half, that's a third of the country. And it keeps growing. We have great talent and people listen to it, but there's a there's a language gap. Most people don't, still don't know what a podcast is. You can ask people, do you listen to podcasts? And they'll say, yes. Uh, uh, or they'll say, no, I've never heard a podcast. And then you name a show like Leyendas Legendarias. Like, oh, I've heard that a million times. They don't understand the difference between a radio show and a podcast. And if the user doesn't understand that, it's very hard for the advertiser to think, why should I advertise in a podcast and not on radio. Uh, Mexico's creative people have a need to communicate. We've been living in a culture where for most of our lives uh, all the information and entertainment uh, content has come from two places, Televisa or TV Azteca. And they controlled how the entertainment worked. When YouTube came into Mexico, it gave every creator that doesn't look like a Univision uh, you know, person to create their own content. And people started making content for that purpose only, you know, to create something new, something that they might have seen somewhere else that doesn't exist in Mexico. And monetization wasn't really the the goal at the time. A lot of the people that we know in Mexico that have been doing this content for over 10 years, uh, I'm part of a, I'll, I'll talk a little bit, a little bit about my, my experience in YouTube. 
we started doing it, and for the first three, four years, nobody made a cent. But we understood that the only way for this to work, and, and I'm not talking about monetization yet, was to be constant and being disciplined and really believe in the content that you make. Mexico, Mexico has a very huge population, and it has an infinite amount of niches. And those niches are the type of things that we started attacking. I, I'm part of a group that we, we have a show called El Pulso La República. And this is not an advertisement for it. I just want to tell you a little bit about the story. We do political satire. And it's, it's the type of political satire that we would see in the United States. We weren't trying to emulate it, but we were trying to find a way to make it adapt to Mexico. Mexico is Mexico's sick of news. We have bad news, but we had to find a way to make this news relevant for the people who would not be interested in watching a Televisa or a Tevestec uh, uh, news show. That involved writers, it involved editing, it involved people who would go out and sell and be the PR person, but at the same time be camera one for the show and would not sleep in order to have it come out at the time it had to and take it seriously, make it a job. When you're not getting paid and you don't see any monetization behind it and you don't know how you're going to make money of it, the only thing you have is passion. And as we kept going and we kept doing it, we realized, hey, you know, we are building an audience and people are genuinely interested in the way we do and the way we say things. That kept us going. With that, small business deals, small sponsorships came to the point where YouTube became the bread, the breadwinner for 14 families that we are. Once that happened, we realized we had something and podcasting came along. When podcasting came along, we really didn't know why we had to have a podcast. I, I always compare it to the dot-com uh, blowout in the world. Most people knew they had to have a website. They didn't know why. So everybody had their own website, and the websites did nothing. Once websites started becoming relevant, some died, some stayed, and the ones that stayed are the ones that we pretty much keep watching and keep seeing. Uh, to date, we started making our podcast because we, in the way we think in Mexico, when you don't, when you don't know what to do with your content or, or you have something good, you, the only lifeline you have is distribution. So we started saying, okay, we're, we're doing radio, we're doing TV, we're doing, uh, we're doing YouTube, Facebook. So what can we do with that content and refurbish it into another medium? So we started publishing that content as a podcast. When we realized that it, it kept growing, then we realized, oh, there's an opportunity to create new content in a much easier way. Mexico started the opposite to the United States. We started with video, and then we grew into audio because we, that's the... That's the consumption pattern Mexicans have. If you want to watch TV, you put on the radio because you're working. And once we started doing that, we realized that our audiences, we started 
getting into a different type of audience than the one we usually had. You know, obviously some people migrated, but the convenience of being able to listen to it and move around and do all the things that you want to do uh, made it made it a great a great opportunity to try new things. Once we started growing and people started getting interested in it, we realized that nobody knew how to commercialize it. And we started seeing other little groups in Mexico. I'm gonna, I want to talk about Latinx later, <laughs> just a little bit about that subject. We started noticing that there was people in the North and people in the South and people in the United States creating content similar to what we were doing and running into the same problems. There was no community. People didn't know how to share their content because it's a new medium. Here, when, when something new starts in the United States, everybody gets involved. And in Mexico, it, getting involved in a new medium first means, first of all, you have to have contact with the United States. We are really close. And you have to understand what they're doing with their mediums. I keep, we, have, we had an issue in, when, when I started working with RSS, and we talked about the fact that in Mexico, whatever we're paying for our hosting is a big sacrifice. It's not something that we, you know, we take out of this, our side pocket and say, okay, I'm gonna invest $5 in, in my hosting. $5 can be the equivalent to your gas bill in some cases, especially if you don't have the means. And we keep finding ways to do and to expose our content without spending a lot of money because we don't have it. It doesn't matter where I see here walking around and talking to developers and talking to uh, you know, hosting companies. And they have a very different understanding of our market and that's why they don't go down to Mexico. To Mexico and Latin America, I'm talking about Mexico because that's our, our country. We, we find ways to do what you guys do, I mean, I know there are some people here I don't know, uh, the way you guys do with our means, which involves doing a lot of the work people wouldn't do here for no money. Because money is not the intent right now. Right now the intent we have is to position our products, our stories, and our voice in a way that may become relevant other than our immediate group of friends. I, I have two types of, two lines of business right now in Mexico. One is the corporate one, the one with the big companies or the radio stations, the TV stations, that their main focus is how do I monetize this? Those are the direct competitors to the small ones who want to have their voice heard, who want to do some, some product, good or bad, but that makes it feel theirs. And we're not in the same playing field. Uh, we can't compete with the investment of the big companies. We can only invest in the content. And the people who are creating great content are forming communities. Everybody, for some reason, one person or the other, we tend to know each other and we support each other. If we keep doing that, we will be able to monetize, and we will be able to keep continue creating content that the conglomerates will understand is more relevant than just sales. Sales will come the way 
they naturally do. If you have something good, people will want to buy it, will want to hear it, will want to donate, invest in it. Our, our market is very, is very, is very diverse. I, I keep hearing Latinx here a lot. And I think that's one of the main problems uh, podcasting in Mexico is having. Latinx is a very generic term. I, I, we understand that you need to generalize, uh, you need to generalize co you know, content and culture in order to understand it. But Mexico City, for instance, has, uh, we, we have 68 languages in Mexico City plus Spanish. If you go to the north, it's completely different than if you go to the south. So if you multiply that, and then you become, what, what is Puerto Rico, you know, in the definition of Latinx? What is Honduras? What is El Salvador? You can't generalize everything because we don't, we don't speak the same. If you have somebody from London and you have somebody from South Africa, they both speak English. So would you just say white? It, it, makes no, it makes no sense, because if that's the way you define a whole sector of your industry, you're not, tar you're, you're not targeting, you're making it less. You know, it, probably not even in a bad way, but you're making it less. You're making it seem like everything is generic. There's words in Spanish that if you say in Mexico, it means, uh, you know, you're an idiot. But if you say in Argentina, it's a term of endearment for a kid. So how can, how can you put uh, Latin people in a container? If you go to Mexico and you go to the south, if you go to the north, where a lot, there's a lot of creators in the north of Mexico, they are more in touch with what's happening in the United States because of the proximity. If you go down to the center of the country, it's a completely different culture. I, I keep... Uh, I keep analyzing this with the West Coast, East Coast uh, mentality of how, you know, you divide a country into, if you want to sell something in the East Coast, it's completely different. It makes no sense if you sell it in the, you know, in the West Coast. So why would I produce something that I know is only going to work in El Salvador using a language from Puerto Rico focused on uh, black Latin people. We're very diverse. And I think the industry hasn't understood the fact that you can't put everything in the same bucket. And that's one of the things that I, I like to talk to people about when they plan on investing or they want to produce in Mexico coming from the outside. You have to understand that we are not a generic, we are not a generic uh, brand. Mexico has insane, un, unlimited amount of talented people that are finding opportunities in podcasting that were never presented to us before. And I, I like to use the, it's not, an, if I, I, I'm not trying to offend anybody with this, but if you think about the, uh, the Arab uh, rising, the Arab, the Arab Spring, they had this need to communicate what was going. And they were, using, they were using their means, Twitter, social media, in order to communicate these things. Some were funny, some were tragic, some were neutral, but there was this need to communicate. That's what podcasting is doing for Mexico, in our own terms. 
but people in Mexico have a need to be heard. Uh, may it be a feminist, may it be uh, you know, a minority or a majority. Everybody's having an opportunity to do it, and that's what's making it grow. We are growing as far as podcasts and as far as content in a way that I didn't think possible. Inside RSS, we have this, you know, we have this program where we're watching how different countries grow. And it's very, it's very impressive to see that with a little, uh, you know, with a little encouragement, uh, you know, by saying, hey, we're behind you, how can we help you? People are creating content that I had not heard in the United States. When I was younger, I used to listen to podcasts. I used to be one of those guys who downloaded Engadget down to my, uh, my iPod and would hear it. And it made me feel like I was getting information nobody else had. And it made me feel part of something special. That type of fidelity only comes with these mediums. And it accentuates if you do it in a country where information is very limited. I know, I mean, I have a few podcasters here that, uh, in the talks we've had, they talk about how loyal their fans are, not only to them, but to whatever they say. In, in, in Mexico, the credibility you can get out of being a podcaster or a YouTube personality is not the same as being a, an Instagram influencer. People believe and people relate to you, to your stories, to your tone of voice. In a lot of cases, they don't know what you look like. I mean, that's, that's one of the great things about here. There's a lot of people that you don't know who they are, you read the name, it's like, wow, you, you put a face to this idea you had of what this person was. So that translated to, to monetization and to brand loyalty is in, in Mexico, if you're, if you're an immigrant and you come to the United States, you might not know who, you know, you might not know where to shop for your groceries. And you find somebody, another Mexican, another Latin person, it's like, hey, where, where, you know, where do you buy your groceries? And they'll tell you, oh, this is the store I go to. That's the store you're going to go to for the rest of your life. Even if there's a cheaper one, that's the one we go to. And that we is a great part of what our community is. We're, we're starting to permeate into the United States. There's a lot of Mexican content, and I'm sure other Latin American content, but there's a lot of content that we can't believe is, is being heard here. We have, we, have, we have a TV show, the one, the, the podcast we have. It talks about political, you know, Mexican politics in a satirical way. And we have people in Australia listening to it. There's probably Mexicans there, but it's, it's, not just, it's not just the news, it's the way we're delivering it that is making people get interested in our country. Mexico, I mean, for the people who haven't gone, when you go to Mexico, and you go to Mexico City, that's where I'm from, so I'm gonna speak specifically, people can't believe Mexico City is like that. It's that size, it's that uh, cosmopolitan, it's that technological, because the information that had been leaked before YouTube, before podcasting, was, you know, good-looking girls, beaches, and that was about it. Right now, we're seeing people getting interested in learning more about Mexico. I met a guy last night, I was talking to Ben about it. He's, uh, he's an Uber driver, and uh, he was from Ethiopia, and next week he's going to Mexico City. 
The reason why he wanted to go to Mexico City is because he started hearing, you know, like podcast media and seeing that people were moving down to Mexico because it was a great place to live because they had everything they imagined they would want in a place where they would want to be. And because of that, that person's going to Venezuela and he's, you know, he's taking part of that culture. To me, it's insane that we live in a country, well, well you guys live in a country where you can be from a refugee from Ethiopia, come to live in Dallas, get a job, and be able to learn about other places that you want to go through podcasts, through radio, through YouTube. That's the type of things we're trying to do. We're trying to make Mexico bigger, and we're trying to make Mexico more relevant without being Mexico. Mexico is smart people. Mexico is not just narcos in Netflix. Mexico is uh, talented people who have things to say, and we're not emulating what we see in, in the United States or in other countries. We're actually creating really good content that matters. And I like seeing that there's content we make in Mexico that's being replicated here because it's relevant. Once the industry here understands that, I, I was looking at statistics. Uh, Spanish is the third most spoken language in the world, but we have the most native people. There's a lot more people speaking English, but it's not their native language. There's, uh, there's more people who speak Hindi, but half the people who speak Hindi do not, use, it's not their native language, it's their second language. Spanish has, uh, I think it's 500 uh, million, 560 million people speak Spanish. Natively, 480 million of them speak it as their first language. If you translated that to any other type of business, that's where you'd go. But we're very complex. We're very complex and we're very different. Venezuela doesn't work the way Mexico does. And Mexico, doesn't, Mexico City doesn't work the way Guadalajara does. We're very different communities. And podcasting gives you the opportunity to focus on those differences and make them bigger and concentrate on the differences in order to deliver your language. I was talking to Araceli right over there, and <laughs> she's from Puerto Rico. And because of, to me, that's a, great, uh, that's a great definition of what you could say Latinx is. She's Puerto Rican, but she's neutralized her accent so she can speak to every single person. Because she understands that if she's talking to a Mexican, there's words that make sense, and there's ideas that are very, you know, in, intrinsical to who that person is. But if she speaks to somebody from Puerto Rico, she might fluctuate some of her words. She might get rid of the S's, you know. <laughs> and that helps you communicate. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. Just making those changes makes you specific to a certain audience. So you can say the exact same story, but not using the exact same Spanish. That's one of the benefits and one of the beauties of Spanish as a language. And Mexico has that regionally. Uh, el, uh, here, let me... Uh, 
I had I, I found this. Uh, I didn't I didn't prepare uh, <laughs> think the a presentation like that. But there's this thing that I've always thought is very interesting, and we saw it in a report not uh, long ago. America's Got Talent is a very popular show here. You know, it's national, national broadcast. It's, it's uh, seen worldwide. I think there's YouTube channels in Spanish uh, that are translated into podcasts and uh, you know, and YouTube that have a bigger audience than America's primetime TV. That's the, that's the amount of audience that we are missing out by not creating content in Spanish and getting companies involved in distributing this content, not as a, hijo, como se dice, como caridad, not as charity, not as I'm trying to be inclusive. These products actually work. Uh, America's Got Talent, 60 Minutes, which is the longest running show or the second longest running show in the United States, has around 5 million uh, views a week. Yuya, who, I mean, for those who know, we know who she is, she makes kids content and sells makeup, and her audience weekly is larger than 60 Minutes and America's Got Talent. That's somewhere where if I were an advert, that's somewhere where you would want to invest. You would want to see what, you know, what happens if you put your promotion code there. And your investment is, you know, it, 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 you're not risking yourself. It's, it's something that will only bring good things and will make you part of a bigger market. Credibility in, credibility in Mexico is very hard to get. It's very hard to sustain, but if you do get the credibility and you are constant and you are credible about the things you do, people will follow you. I love, I love seeing small, small milestones in Mexico. There's a lot of kids that are starting their... I help really old people and really young people learn how to do their podcast, from recording to editing to distributing it. And a lot of the young people that I'm helping right now, their goal is to get 100 downloads. That's their, that's their milestone. They think, if I get 100 milestones, I've, uh, 100 downloads, I've made it. Once they get it, they can't believe they crossed that line. And they start setting themselves milestones that if you were to talk with an American industry, they don't make sense because they're thinking about monetary and growth. These people are talking about having their voice heard. And when, when podcasting started in, in the United States, I remember to me it was punk rock. I, I always refer to it as punk rock. It's something you would do in your garage. It's something that you would record in your room. And you just want it to be heard. Right now, the moment you start, you start thinking of demographics and, and, and you complicate it in a way that takes the essence of doing something you love to doing something you have to do. That's why I, 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 in Mexico we're getting, a lot of, we're getting a lot of deals. People are starting to take advantage and are starting to understand the market and they'll underpay us for something they know is worth a lot more. And it's happening constantly. Part of us as a 
community of podcasters and content creators is helping each other not fall into that. You know, if, if somebody comes to a friend of mine, it's like, oh, you know, I got this good deal, read it. When good things, when things seem to be better than they, you know, than they are, they're usually not. And that's a reality of what podcasting and the effects of the rising generation of creators in Mexico is going through. Be, you know, be punk rock. <laughs> be, be proactive. Do what you love. Find ways to promote yourself. And remember that you're the one in control of your ship. It's not RSS, it's not Spotify, it's not... You're the one who's the owner of your content, and you decide what happens with it. If somebody tells you you can't, they're probably not looking for your best interest. That's the reality of Mexico. And I wanted to... Uh, one of the things that I think is very important for us in Mexico and, you know, for people, it is worth getting involved in the creation of content and supporting this growing market because there's in unlimited amount of opportunities that once you realize it, you want it. We have people that we've talked to here that, you know, when you talk to them and you start giving the numbers, they can't believe there's so many podcasters in Mexico. They can't believe there's so many listeners. And we're hungry. We're hungry for, you know, for context, for hardware, for software, for opportunities that are viable to us. You know, $600, $700 hosting for Mexico, that will ruin uh, a podcast because growth will kill us. But if we find ways and we find, uh, we make alliances with people who give us those opportunities to grow, we will be loyal. We, Mexicans are very brand loyal. I've had the same cell phone number for 26 years, and I know they're stealing from me, and I know they're overcharging me, but that's my brand. In the good and the bad times, I've been there, and they've been there for me. So we don't change, and taking advantage of those things that are culturally em embedded in us for any brand and any... Uh, service provider, any microphone, you know, we, we are very, we are very thankful of those, of those things. And it's an intangible thing that you can't put in a presentation. You know, we, we make friendships, we're loyal to our brands and we stick to what we believe in. And that's, I, I just, it, more, than a, more than a statistical uh, presentation, I wanted to make it, you know, more heartfelt. That's why, that's why I think podcasting is working in Mexico. The message is we need to communicate and we need people's help. We, we want to be a product and we want to be, uh, we want to be relevant and we want to make money, but we want to be heard. And that's our main, our main purpose on why we're migrating to reach a broader audience. That's pretty much my presentation. So I, I wanted to ask you know, if anybody has questions about Mexico, Mexico podcasting, and how you know, we can help you help us. 
Uh, uh, Oh, like, uh, like something like this in Mexico? Yeah, well, something similar. I think we don't really have organized anything yet. What's happened in Mexico is that the, the content creators or the main content creators, we have met each other in different circumstances. And we have become the community. If I don't know you specifically, I know your friend, and we'll probably end up meeting in a, in a stand-up comedy, in a party, or in a dinner, or literally I can contact you. And we've formed really large groups of people who don't know each other personally, but will help you indiscriminately. So, Yes, it'd be nice to start having these great thing, these great conferences in Mexico. But what's happened here, for instance, is a lot of the people that are here, we know each other from Mexico. And you know, there's a few podcasters here that I know from Mexico, and we ended up being here. And what we do is we, you know, we find ways to help each other, and we keep growing our community year through year. Next year, there'll be seven people more sitting here that are interested and hopefully will end up taking over the whole room. That's, so we don't have them, but we find ways to communicate because we're hungry. I think they, they tried to do something in Monterrey a couple years ago, but then the pandemic hit and they did it virtually. The guys that produce Demente, mm. uh, one of my cousins works there, so he, he told me about it. But uh, it'd be nice to have something in Mexico soon, um, preferably in the north so we can go. Um, so my question is, uh, we, we talked a little bit uh, yesterday about our area. We're on the border in Matamoros, Brownsville. And we have a little podcast studio that we started during the pandemic, and we've been producing podcasts, but mainly in English. And because we're from Matamoros, we can we want to dive into the to the Spanish market. So we were thinking about partnering up with local comedians or with TikTokers from from the Matamoros area. How do we approach them, or how do we partner up with them? And then how do we, or what's your advice to approach them and, and say, hey, we'll produce your podcasts. Does it go 50-50? Do we have to sign a contract? Or how does that work? Because if we start producing those, those podcasts and they become successful and we don't have a contract, they can go their separate ways. What, do you, what, what advice can you give us? I think, I think everybody is looking, in Mexico in general, comedians, uh, TV personalities, uh, everybody's looking for opportunities to do something. Even though the monetary aspect of whatever you work for is important, a lot of people are willing to take a risk to be part of something bigger. But as a producer, you have to understand that it's a job, that this passion you have for you know, whatever you want to produce, maybe the talent is not there yet, but they're interested in the subject. I, I try to get involved, to get people involved in projects that I know they 
they're interested in doing and find ways, even if it's not 100% monetary, but, you know, give them something to work, you know, to work with, where they feel, they feel remunerated for the time and the stuff that they're doing. We babysit a lot in Mexico, <laughs> producers, I know there's a few here. We tend to babysit a lot because we understand, we understand where our downfalls are, the things that we can't, we can't provide because we're coming from a different situation. If Televisa flies you, you know, I, I'm going to say if Televisa, if you're going to go with Televisa and you're going to do a show in the border, they'll pay for your hotel, they'll pay for your meals. Pay. Sometimes as an independent producer, hey, stay in my house. And I've, I've done this. Oh, I rented an Airbnb for you. <laughs> it's my house, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but make them feel special because they are. And you have to, you know, <laughs> that's part of producing. Those type of things make people want to continue doing it. People think you're going the extra yard to help them. So comedians in general, I mean, you know, in Mexico, there's a lot of them and there's a lot of rising stars. If you're trying to get the, the top comedian for 20 pesos, you're not going to do it. But if you get somebody that you consider is talented, you give them 40 and you make them part of the project, most likely you will be able to produce it. Everybody's willing to work, but a lot of people are not willing to work for nothing anymore. Because, I mean, if you come from Mexico, you know what that means. You know, working, busting your ass, and then them telling you, oh, okay, your paycheck comes out in six months. It's like, why did I work for it? That type of situation does not exist in other markets. And that's our Latin. Eso es México. Aquí nos tocó vivir. Thank you for sharing your insight. Um, so I produce content both in Spanish and English. Sorry? And I produce content ah. in Spanish and English. And my, my content is about the Latinos that migrated to the US and work in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. So people that work at Google, Facebook, all these companies. And I always wonder how is a Spanglish scene or your take on what Spanglish content right. is seen? Because uh, a lot of like, technical stuff we talk about, we just talk about it in, in English because that's mm -hmm. how we work on it. So I'm just curious on your take on Spanglish content. I, even though I've lived in Mexico most of my life, I, I, I've lived in the United States for extended periods of times, and I went to high school here. So I understand Spanglish. Spanglish is... Spanglish work. I have a few podcasts in Mexico City that if you listen to them, it might feel like they were done in, Carl in California. Because English is very embedded into the way we talk. We say Kleenex, we say sandwich, we say cool. We, you know, we do use those words no matter where, you know, no matter where. And that Spanglish element of Spanish makes it a lot easier for Puerto Ricans and Salvadoreños to communicate. Because it's not, I, I, think it's, I think it's a great way to urbanize or to modernize communicating between cultures. So I, I, I would be all for including Spanglish into productions because Spanglish is another type of, it's another type of Spanish. It's another dialect 
that most of us understand. So go for it, man. <laughs> Anyone else? Well. Hi, thank you so much. Uh, my name is Tatiana, and I live in Amatlan, outside of Tepotlan in Morelos. Yeah. And I have a podcast production company, and I'm serving American and European clients. And I'm looking to uh, in start to include Mexican clients, and I'm also trying to build a Mexican production team. Mm -hmm. And due to what seems to be this lack of, at least I've not been able to discover a more centralized resource for finding, you know, I can find web designers and graphic designers and mm -hmm. video editors and engineers, etc. But I'm looking for people who are specifically passionate about podcasting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I'm just uh, very open to learn if there are uh, resources or avenues I might explore to find people who are looking for good work and, uh, f you know, for fair pay. And also, I have a lot of um, training to offer, so I'd really like to mentor people if there's a need for that. For sure. I mean, first of all, thank you. And yeah, let's talk after this, because in, especially in Mexico City, just because of the amount of people that we are, there's, I, I mean, I, I can think about 25 editors that would love to be part of that. You know, uh, we have people who write scripts. In, Me in Mexico, it's very, it's very interesting that we have talent that works for the United States, that works for Europe, and we do it remotely. But when you're looking in Mexico for that, it's very hard because there's no directory. There's no, it's a, it's a word of voice. So yeah, I mean, Maybe that's one of the things we can do and start the directory. Uh, because, yeah, I, I know exactly where Amatlan is. And, yeah, it's, it's a small city, but you're in the middle. It's hard to, it's hard to find. So, yeah, there are communities and there are people. And usually if you write somebody in, in Mexico, if you, if you write somebody directly, and, I mean, if you went to the other conferences, if you do the RSS feed trick and find the email, the people will answer you because... You know, a lot of my editors, their biggest interest right now is getting the credit so other people can find them. It's more about the credit than the pay right now because we know this is going to grow with or without us. So right now, you know, the connections you make are the future of your, you know, of your production. So, yeah, for sure, I mean, let, you know, let's get in touch and I'll hook you up with some people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, we have 50 seconds left. So if there's another question, yes. Uh, Hi, my name is Adel from uh, Next Broadcast. I have a question about um, big brands in uh, in Mexico. Is it something common to uh, to use podcasters um, uh, instead of spending on radio and try to get the same reach they get on radio and they do it on podcasts? Because what you describe is very fragmented, mm -hmm. so it's going to be difficult for a brand to get the same reach by contacting them one by one instead of working maybe with five radio stations. So, yeah, so how does it work? So what you're saying is, are big brands understanding why they should, or do they No, I'm asking if big brands are using podcasts as an alternative to radio to get the same reach they get on radio with advertising. Okay. I think there's an interest but the market hasn't grown 
to the size where the marketing companies and the people in marketing inside the countries have found a way to integrate. I, there is an interest for brands to not use as an alternative, but as a plus. Because they know, they know people are listening to podcasts. But like I said, a lot of people don't know, know what a podcast is. So part of my job and part of the job of a lot of people in Mexico is we're evangelizing them. We're explaining to them the reach. We're explaining to them that, yeah, uh, the TV might lie to you and say, oh, you have 100 million, you know, in interactions. Well, here you might have a million, but I can prove to you that they literally saw it. And it's going to be, it's, it's a time-based uh, time thing. It's going to happen because people don't believe in TV anymore in Mexico. Like, we know they're not, you know, if... If somebody comes out and tells you, oh, this is the best uh, eyeglasses, you know they're not. But if he tells me, hey, I'm using these glasses and these glasses really work for me, you, you are more willing to give it a try because you're hearing it from a friend, somebody you've been listening to for the last couple of months or years, and his voice resonates on you in a way TV can't. Ad agencies are starting to understand those things. But, you know, we need to keep working on raising the numbers and raising the awareness to make it more relevant. A lot of big brands come up to us and say, like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to advertise in your podcast. It's like, well, you know, we have a, a million downloads a, a month. Like, oh, is that a lot? It depends who you are and what you're trying to achieve. If you're any brand and you can position a million whatever you sell, it's a lot of money. But they, you know, they, they have this old school mindset yet. When money changes, you know, when money changes age, things start to accommodate. And we're always a step behind than the United States. You know, they're seeing this happen, but they're still spectators. It's going to happen that one day they're going to be involved and they're going to be right in the middle and they're going to have to take a decision. And once, I mean, if you know the Mexican market, once one does it, the other one will do it because the other one is doing it. And they'll start seeing results and the industry will grow. So, so I, I hope I answered your question. Yes, you did. You did. Thank okay. You. And uh, well, that's, that's my time. <laughs> Thank you.